0: it's good to see all of you. Happy Sunday. And um, uh, we had so many things on our announcements. I wanna make sure that you uh, don't miss out on any of that. But um, I am excited about next week's lunch. I know um, know, my big regret on Easter was I didn't get to eat that hot dog thing. Like I ate the burger and then I saw people carrying the hot dog. I was too full. But anyways, I think we're gonna have some of those trucks and uh, um, all that. But it'll be just a great time of fellowship to connect Um, and uh, welcome each other to church. And so we want to keep that in mind next Sunday. Um, And then also we'll be sharing about our ministry opportunities at church you could serve in. Um, So uh, make sure to keep that open next Sunday. Today, we're looking at the topic of joy. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. The second one that's mentioned is joy. And probably, right, the most... um, uh, popular one out of the list. If you can go after one of them and you could have one main fruit out of the nine, what would it be? And a lot of us would run to joy. All of us want it. Doesn't matter how old we are, right? From the little toddlers to all the way to the grandparents, everyone wants to be joyful. Happiness matters. And we get our joy and whatever gives us joy, we will chase that down. Some of us work really hard because There is a joy that comes from that. Some of you uh, play really hard because you get some kind of joy. Some of you seek relationships with certain people because they give you joy. Um, And those are all good things. Joy is a good thing. But one thing we see is that it doesn't last. And today we look at this idea of joy. As a Christian, our definition of joy is different. It's deeper. It lasts longer. And so we can have this joy regardless of circumstances and so on. So we want to look at this today and we want to answer a few questions. Uh, How do you define joy? What does joy really mean? Um, Secondly is where do we get joy from? How do I become more joyful in this way? Where do we get this from? Um, And and thirdly is uh, this question of um, what happens to the hardships in life then? Why are there still hardships? And the last thing is, is How do I fully grasp and understand? How how do I now um, grow in joy? And those are things we want to talk about here today. Um, First of all is, uh, we know that all of us want to be happier, right? Even the little kids and on, And uh, that is really why we do what we do. It is C.S. Lewis, or rather, I'm sorry, Blaise Pascal, rather, who said this. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end, the cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attending, attended with different views. Uh, the will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. And Pascal makes a great point there. Um, everyone seeks this. Everyone wants to be more joyful. And really, uh, if we could say out of the list of nine, what's, you know, Love is number one, and maybe right after is joy. And some people would say, I'd rather just be more joyful than even have love. And, you know, obviously they're intertwined. But we all want it so much. We all seek it so much. I mean, the, the marketers make all their money from appealing to our sense of joy. This will make you more Joyful. So what is really, what is joy? What is this idea of joy? Well, it's interesting because joy out of the list of nine, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, out of the list of nine, joy is the only one that is a result of something outside of us. You experience joy because of something that has happened outside of us, right? So love and gentleness and peace and self-control, all those things are something we do on the inside, something that God helps us to do and we live that out. Joy is the fruit of something outside. Happiness comes because something good has happened to us. And we all experience this. Oh, you know, know, so-and-so got engaged and they're so joyful. Or so-and-so got a promotion and they got into this program. They're so excited. They got a new house and they're so excited. And there's events in life that make us joyful. It's the positive circumstances on the outside that affect our mood. Isn't that true, right? Right. so if, it is, if that is the case, how about it spiritually? It's interesting, in the passage that we read in 1 Peter, in verse 6, it says this, and I just want to focus on the first four words, in this you rejoice. So Peter here is focusing on something. He says, there is a reason you rejoice. In this, he's pointing to something else here. So he's not saying just be happy for no reason. Just wake up and be happy. But he says, there is a reason, something outside of you, in this, and he points to something else, and it's outside of us. So this is more than just personality. This isn't someone who has a bubbly personality or um, a happy demeanor, or they're always smiling. It's more than that. It's something on the outside that happens that changes who we are on the inside, and it changes us, makes us more joyful. Um, That's what we see here. You know, the Webster Dictionary uses uh, uh, gives this definition of joy. It says something or someone that gives joy to someone. So it's something or someone that gives, something or someone outside of us that now provides this joy, gives us this joy. Well, what does this look like? Where does this source come from? So that's the second question. Where does joy come from then? What is the this in verse 6 pointing to? And it's pointing to the previous verses in verse 4 and 5 about an inheritance that God has in heaven for us, to be now in heaven with him eternally. That's the inheritance. And he points to that. And so in verse 6, he's saying, in this, he's pointing to verse 4, in that inheritance in God is where you need to rejoice. You need to find your ultimate joy in that. And we look here in verse 4, and this is what it says, to an inheritance, and this is a description that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfaded, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So it's, it's a personal inheritance It's kept in heaven for you. It's something personal. It's a personal gift waiting. And the description that is used here by Peter, he uses the words like imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Imperishable. Uh, it means that it's opposite. The opposite of that is uh, that something that's subject to decay, something that is perishable. Uh, Something that um, will rot and something that will decay. And so the things of God are imperishable. You know, Romans 1 talks about God being imperishable. 1 Peter 1 talks about God's word is imperishable. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about our resurrected bodies will be imperishable. Everything else is perishable. Everything else goes bad in this way. Um, I, I don't know about you, but anything, right? Anything in our fridge or anything that has an expiration date, like, I, I don't like it past the expiration date, you know? So even if it gets near it, and I just, I just throw it away. Do you know, like, even Diet Coke has an expiration date? Do you ever have a bad Diet Coke? Some of you who drink Diet Coke, you know, like, oh, this is bad, and I throw it away. Some people say, oh, how do you know? You know, milk, um, if it's near the date, I just throw it away. If it looks suspicious, I throw it away. Because I think it's an adverse reaction from, because my mom always would just smell it and say, it's okay, just drink it. I'm like, mom, it's two days ago. It's okay, just drink it. And now it's an obedience thing. I'm like, oh, gosh, and I'm going to die, you know, and I drink it. And so I said, when I grow up, I'm not going to drink it, you know. And so now it's like anything close to it, we're throwing it out, right? Um, Everything is, but what God has in store for us is imperishable, right? It's it's there. Um, The second word to describe our inheritance is undefiled. Um, Unstained by sin. It's clean. It's undefiled. Why get your source of joy from something that is sinful? It is pure. It's undefiled. The third description that we see is unfading. Um, It means it doesn't lose its beauty. It doesn't lose its glory. All of us are kind of fading in a way. All the new things you get are kind of fading. The new cars we get, you know, eventually it is fading. The glory of it is fading. It's fading. The new houses we might be able to live in, it's eventually fading. It's getting out of style. The clothes we buy, eventually, you wash it enough, wear enough, it fades away. But what God has for us is now unfading. And this is how it's described. Um, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. People are seeking, people are looking, people are finding new hobbies, new restaurants, new places to visit, looking, looking, looking. And you say, it's still, it's not as satisfying. And as Lewis said, that was probably because I was made for another world. We have to understand we are eternal beings. We are spiritual beings. We're the children of God. And for us to now run to things that are perishable, to run to this world that is temporal, and to try to find satisfaction, it will always let us down. And people do this often. They do this in their relationships, you know, one after another, trying to find the right person. And people do it in their material possessions. Maybe the new car, the next car, the next car, right? Um, maybe it's where they live. Maybe this city is boring, and I'm going to go to that city, and the grass is greener over there. Someone who is not easily satisfied is because of this. We were created to find our satisfaction in something greater. Something eternal because we were made in this way. But often we run to the first things that we see. The things that we see, it's interesting because um, here he, he talks about um, the things that are unseen later, right? Um, let me just go to the third question first. What about our trials? So this is a great question. If God wants us to be joyful, why are there hardships in my life? Uh, Most people say, well, if God is there and he is for us, wouldn't the hardships go away? How am I supposed to be joyful when life is so hard? When loved ones are suffering, when I'm suffering, how am I supposed to be joyful? What about the trials? And he addresses this here. And he answers it this way. He says in verse 6, now back to verse 6, in this you rejoice. And he contrasts it from our eternal inheritance in verse 4 to now our present life. And this is the language he uses to describe the hardships of this life. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He calls it, it's a momentary suffering, a little while. And some of us, we have been, you have been suffering for years, and it's been tough. And the Bible says it's a little while. Are they belittling it? Well, not really. It's putting in proper perspective. The joy we have, the eternal joy we have in heaven, is for eternity. The hardships we suffer here, maybe the next six months, maybe the next year. In comparison, is a little while. And he says that the suffering we face, it's various trials. You can imagine God the Holy Spirit writing these words through Peter, almost looking forward to us. You know, in 2016, looking forward to us, saying, let's cover all the trials. Let's cover all the hardships. Whatever they might face then that we don't face now, let's cover it all. All of those things, he says. The joy that we have in heaven puts it in proper perspective. But what we often do is we look at the things that are immediate, we look at the things that are visible, and we want to go run to that. You know, every time you go to a, yeah, I, just about every time, right? You go to a store like Target, and often, what do you see? You hear some toddler wailing and crying like there's something horrible happening. And we all know what that's like, right? We've all been there. Parents, you've been there. And then, regardless, we've all been there, right? Like, there is a toy, the kid wants the toy, and the tough parent says no, and is dragging the kid out, right? And now there's a scene, and you look at them, and you're like, thank God I don't have kids. Or whatever, you know, you're like, thank God, my, you know, it, it's not, that's not my kid. Um, or there's the, the, the pushover, okay, I'll buy you whatever, I'll buy you whatever. Um, and I remember seeing one mom buying the kid whatever, and then they got into the aisle, and the kid wanted gum, and started like fake crying, and then the mom, okay, yeah, gum, and then the candy, and just grabbed everything. And I was like, know. Yeah, horrible mom. Like, you know, like it's, um, can you buy me something, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but why do they all lay it out like that? You know, I remember before I had kids, I was like, why do they lay it all out? So I said, these kids are going to touch it and mess it up. But that's the exact point. That's the genius of it, because once they touch it and see it, they want it. Right? Doesn't matter if it's made for a dog, they just want that toy. Like, it's, it's mine and it's life or death. And you look at that and say, well, it's a child. They're immature. But really, are we much different as we get older? Or do we look to the immediate things, the tangible things, the, the things that look pretty right there? We, we don't even think about it. But we say, boy, if I could have this, wouldn't life be better? And we get so depressed if we don't have it. Oh, I need this. I need to have this. And the world around us is constantly showing us all the things we don't have. All the things that someone else has that you don't have. And you act, we can act like a toddler at Target saying, I, I need these things. I can't live without it. We have to pause, and we have to think, how can I become more joyful in this way? Right? Um, it's interesting because you think about these trials, and the hardships um, that we go through. Right? Um, the, the earthly example of this, uh, that's the best example is a, a mother giving birth. They consider it joy, right? Now, the mom who gives birth, when they find out they're pregnant, they consider it joy. Their friends throw them a shower. They have a party because they're pregnant. But really, on a human level, you say, boy, that, that's a lot of suffering, you know? That's a lot of hardships. You know how much money, sleep, your body's never the same? Like, this person is just, you know, using all your money. That's really difficult. Do they, what are we celebrating about? No, but they, the mom says, no, I consider it joy. They cry tears of joy when the baby is born. Because they're looking ahead, not just to the suffering in the short while, but they're looking ahead what is to come. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus, on the way to the cross, considered it joy, the Bible tells us. You say, well, how could that be joyful? He's going to go and be crucified for things he didn't do. How is that joyful on a physical, emotional level? But yet he's looking beyond that. He sees beyond the material things, the immediate things. And so we say, how can I now be more joyful in this way? How can the reality of heaven be real to me? And maybe you've been a Christian and you say, boy, that seems like such a far-fetched idea. You know, it seems like, boy, it's, it's, it seems like a, you know, retirement. It seems so far away. I don't know if that's a reality. How can that become a reality? And it is by understanding the reality that we have in Christ. The ultimate answer to our joy goes back to Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate answer. How I relate with Christ today gives me my joy, gives me my future, helps me understand the value of eternity. You know, think about this. If being with someone forever, we say, gosh, you know, that's, that's a far place. That's a, if I don't love the person, it's not that exciting. But if you love the person, you can't wait to get there. And some of you have family this summer. You're going to go on trips. You're going to go see your friends or family, and you're so excited because you love those people. <coughs> I can't wait to go see grandma. I can't go wait to see my aunt or uncle. Because you love that person. And so the destination is not as important as the people who are there. And really, here we'd start loving Jesus so that when I'm looking forward to being with him. It says this, how can I become more joyful? How can I bear more fruit of joy in my life? I think the answer is here in verse 8. And the language he uses, as I mentioned, is he, he knows that we... Run after the things that we see and we can touch. And he says this though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy. That is inexpressible, filled with glory. He tells us to love and to believe in him. Even though you don't see him, even though you can't touch it, even though it's not immediate. He says, Peter says, I know you don't see him. And it's interesting because he's writing to the persecuted church. When you read the background of 1 Peter, he's writing to Christians who are being persecuted. To have strength. And he now tells them to love him. To love Jesus. The, um, the word here, you know, is the it's from the word agape, agapao. It's the word to love. Uh, in, in the tense, in what the in the original language is, is in the present tense, it means a a continual love, a regular love. It basically means a relationship, a love relationship. So love him. Be in love with him. Continue to love him. Don't make it a a once-a-year thing, but be in love. Don't become a stranger with him, but be in love with him. Love him in this way. Um, I used to know someone at my old church, um, one of the church members, and um, she would always come up to me after a sermon and this is when i remember when i first got there and i was preaching and she came up and she said oh pastor steve i love loved your sermon and i was like wow you're, you're my favorite church person of all time you know like wow really and she's like oh, i loved it it was so good it really moved me I'm like, oh okay and then you know next week she's like oh my gosh pastor steve your sermon was so good and she used to tell me this so i just go wow like i must i must get a good message you know i, I like and I come to realize, you know, she's one of the people that loves everything. She goes, oh my gosh, that 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 solo, I love that solo. Oh, yeah, okay. And then, you know, she was like, oh, I loved, you know, you know, Joel Osteen, I love, it. I was like, oh come on, don't, don't, you know, like, oh, I loved, you know, Benny Hinn was I loved it. I'm like, no, 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 like let's not. And then so now when she comes out, I love, they're like, you don't love me? You're like, you don't love the message I gave. You just love everything. And the person who loves everything can't love anything. Right? The person, the best friend that says, I want to be your best friend, but I have 100 best friends, then you're not really my best friend. The couple in love that says, I love you, I want to give myself to you, but I have all these other people in my life. There has to be a sense of exclusivity. Here he says, you, we love him. Though we don't see him, we love him. That's where our faith comes in. We love him in this way. And then the second part he says is, you believe in him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. The word believe is not just um, to believe in my mind, but it's an active belief. It means to place one's confidence in. It means to depend on someone. Um, it's interesting. The. The commentators point this out, that this little preposition that's a believe in him, the word in, is how important that is. Um, it's not that I believe something about him, but the preposition shows that I am running into him. Like, as I run into him, I now have this. I run into his presence. Um, this is mentioned in Proverbs 18.10. Name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it. And is safe. Um, it's the idea that not do I just know something in my head about him, I run to him. I have a belief in him and I trust in him. He says, as you believe and as you love, the reality of the inheritance that is to come becomes more appealing. And it gives us more joy. And God wants all of us, all of us here, to be more joyful. But he wants it to come from the right place. He wants us to find an eternal joy in him. So whether we are crying from pain, disappointed in the things that we wanted, losing the things that we thought were important, it's okay, we're still joyful because of what he has done for me, what is in store for me. So instead of producing your own joy, instead of going to buy your own joy or looking somewhere else to go and manufacture this joy, That is so short lived, find your joy ultimately in Jesus Christ. He's the answer. And I hope that we can become a joyful people as we now walk with Him. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer, could we? Um, God, we want to be more joyful. Jesus Christ, you were joyful. Uh, you had joy even going to the cross and we want to learn that we want to be like you so help us to understand that joy a joy that is inexpressible a joy where there is glory in it that is undefiled imperishable god um, help us not to run to the latest fad and be like a toddler chasing after a toy that that's all that matters but help us lord to understand Our joy is being rooted in you. Our joy is knowing what is to come. So, Lord, we love you. Teach us to love you. Lord, we believe in you. Teach us to trust you. And, God, we find our joy in you. God, make that fruit uh, visible and grow in our lives, God. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.